Welcome to the men's global live stream. We're in part two of a series called Not Of It, and on your screen, you should be able to download the notes. I want you to follow along with me. Uh, not of it means not being of the world. Jesus is telling his disciples then, and he's telling his disciples now, in this cultural moment, not to get swept up by cultural forces or controlled by cultural movements or cultural ways or cultural thinking. Instead, in this conversation with Jesus and the disciples, he's telling them don't blend with culture. In fact, blending with culture is not the mark of the follower of Christ. Don't behave like culture. Instead, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is to engage culture overcome the cultural riptides, rise above it, and show yourself to be a disciple of Christ. And in part one, uh, we mentioned our one of our theme verses. It's from John 17, verse six, and it says this. It says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Jesus is talking to God about you and I, and he's, he's, he's describing us as being not of culture, the world, cosmos, that system of believing and being and behaving that either excludes God or is hostile to God. And then we talked about in part one, what that means, not being of the world, but we are of Christ, not being of the world, but we are of his word. We are people of his words not being of the world, but being of the spirit. There's a spirit of the world and there's the spirit of God and God has poured his spirit into us. We're of the spirit and not being of the world, but being of heaven, that that is our identity, that is our citizenship, that is the kingdom that we represent in this in-between time of, of, of being created and being made by God and for God and going back to God. We're of heaven, we're citizens of heaven. That is our identity. And the, the message of Jesus to every follower is that we are set apart from the world, cosmos, culture, that whole this whole atmosphere that really doesn't bring God into the conversation. That we are recognizably distinct uh, in how we think and what we say and what we do. And Jesus highlights this, not just in John chapter 17, but uh, throughout the gospels. And he highlights this separateness, this distinctness of identity and expression. He talks about it in Matthew chapter five. And this is a powerful uh, statement by Jesus about you and I uh, and how we're in the world but we're not supposed to be of the world. We have a different mission. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you, believers, are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, so there are two identity statements. There's an identity, identity statement related to salt. There's an identity statement related to light. And there's an experience that 
culture and the world, cosmos, is supposed to have with you and I in the midst of this cultural riptide. And I wanna unpack that, all right? If you notice, Jesus says, you are salt, all right? So when you think of salt, uh, the immediate thing is that it's a seasoning, right? Uh, it makes things better. Doesn't salt make everything better? It's like, my wife asks me all the time, honey, what does this need? More salt, right? So salt makes things better. Jesus says, you are salt, right? You season situations, you come into situations, and instead of making them worse, in this instance, making them perhaps more divisive, uh, we make things better. And we're gonna unpack what that means. Salt was also a preservative. So you put salt with things to prevent rot or decay. Jesus says, you are salt. Christians are put into situations to prevent cultural rot and cultural decay and cultural evil. Right? We're a restraining influence that, that causes things to, uh, to not rot or decay. Think about that in this present situation, this decompensating cultural moment. Okay? Why are we in it? We're in it to prevent further decompensation, rot, and cultural decay. We are a restraining influence. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, that salt has influence by contact, right? Salt has influence by contact. Then Jesus says, uh, he uses another picture. He says, you're light. And he goes to great, uh, great pains to make sure that, um, that you, how you use a light, that you don't cover a light, you take the cover off, all right? And you actually put it in a strategic position uh, so that it can influence uh, wherever that light is. Um, he says, you don't uh, put uh, a bowl over it, and uh, when you light a lamp, instead, you put it on its stand. And that's really important, uh, especially for this moment right now that we're in, because just like uh, a lamp gives light to everyone in the house, Jesus says, Christians are in culture uh, to be visible, that there's an actual expectation by Jesus that, that we're gonna influence by contact, but we're also gonna be made visible in this moment. So salt has influence by contact. Light, on the other hand, has influence by contrast. So when the environment is dark, uh, when, when things are negative, um, when there's a mood and there's a, a disposition uh, that is negative and dark, by contrast, there's us. Wow, amazing. So you are salt right now in the midst of this cultural riptide, and you are light. You have influence by actual contact, right? To preserve and make better, you have influence by contrast. Contrasting attitude, contrasting perspective, contrasting values, contrasting focus. So being salt and light reflects, write this down, conduct that is felt and seen. Christians right now are to be conducting themselves because of their identity in Christ and the expression of that identity and energy looks like contact and it looks like contrast that people both feel they can, they can sense it and they can actually see it. Um, 
you know, in the Bible, it talks about this a lot, this, this separation, this distinctness uh, from culture. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, uh, it talks about this distinctness and this separateness. It says real religion, okay, versus synthetic religion, all right, synthetic faith. Real faith, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this, reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. Do you see that element of separateness, distinctness, purity, and then pollution and corruption? And it, pollution, if you think about it for a second, super subtle, super subtle, where it can just happen over time, uh, pollution gets released into anything, it gets corrupted, and over time, it gets toxic. And there is a call by scripture based on your identity and my identity as a follower of Christ to reach out and guard at the same time. I love the language there. And so we're gonna look this morning at four ways that people, and I'm gonna put it in quotations, will know that we are not of the world because Jesus would make statements and he said, if you do this, you're gonna show yourself, right? To be my disciple. And that, that says two things. That says that we're supposed to be separate and distinct, uh, but that there's also a revelation of your identity and there's an expression of that identity that is, um, that is direct and Jesus was very clear. And so we're gonna look at four distinctives where Jesus says, hey, this is how people are gonna know this is how you're gonna show yourself to be uh, my disciple and how we can stand apart right now so uh, we can receive uh, what we're gonna talk about for this moment and we can apply it today. Uh, the first way that Jesus says that people will know that we're his followers, they'll know by our focus on what Jesus says. Our focus on what Jesus says. Listen to Jesus talk about this. Uh, he, it says this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice uh, the audience, and I want you to notice the action. The Bible says that Jesus is speaking to believers. That's the audience. To the Jews who had believed him. So this is for his team. All right, that's the audience. And then Jesus says, uh, the action, if you hold to my teaching. Now, why does Jesus use that language? Well, you're moved to, um, to hold on to something when there's pressure to let go of, of something. And, and so Jesus is saying, you know what? If you're a believer in me, you're gonna be pressured uh, to let go of what I say and embrace what other people say. Right? You're going you're gonna to let go of who you are related to what I say, and there's, a, there's forces out there that are, that are going to want to replace uh, what I say. And Jesus says that people are going to know that you're a follower of Christ if you focus on what he says. You know, just to kind of illustrate this, I don't know if you've ever been around musicians, uh, but, uh, but, but musicians, before they actually play a song or they uh, do a performance, they, they spend a good bit of time uh, getting their instruments or their voices tuned, 
right? There is a key, there is a chord, there is a plumb line for each string and for instruments that, that cause it to, uh, to be aligned with uh, the right note or the right chord, right? And if they're, they're not aligned, then they're out of, of tune. So there is a, there is a bass line and uh, they all dial in uh, their instruments before they actually play. And they're constantly resetting it. So they play and then before they play another song, they might align their guitar or they might even align their voice. And uh, my daughter's in an acapella group and before they sing, there's someone who, who uh, gets everybody into the same key. There's a little instrument that they use that, that gives you the right pitch and then everybody aligns with that that pitch. And and right now, it's so easy and I see it happening where believers are not tuning themselves by the words of Jesus, but they're borrowing thoughts from culture. They're borrowing cultural thoughts, they're borrowing political thoughts, they're by they're borrowing uh, statements, facts, things that uh, that they're tuning in on. And so in response to the cultural moment, what we don't hear is we don't hear the words of Christ. What we hear are borrowed thoughts from culture, right? Now, not all thoughts from culture are bad. Not all positions that you hear uh, are bad. But in this moment, what we have to do is we have to hold on to the teaching uh, of Christ. And we need to align ourselves because it can be so imperceptible that we can do it subconsciously and without knowing it, we're, we're, we're expressing the thoughts of culture in the world and not the thoughts uh, of, of Christ. And Christians are sounding less like Christ and more like culture when it comes to some of these issues. And I'm here to remind myself and remind us that we have a plumb line, that we have a set of words and thoughts and values and perspectives that are of Christ. And the world will know that we're followers of Jesus by our focus on what Jesus says. One of the things in this moment that I think Christians can easily say and easily do is they can just talk about loving their neighbor as themselves. You know, as a Christian in this moment, man, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The best bit of relational advice, the best unifying thing is to treat others the way that you want to be treated. There's an easy application to focusing on what Jesus says. But Jesus emphasized the importance of staying in close contact with his words when he was talking to the disciples in John chapter six. Listen to what he says. He says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Such a poignant moment and such a great question for us this morning. Where do we go for our words? Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. They give the spirit of God and they give life versus what? Feed into the flesh and bring division and death, right? Peter asks a great question. Where else are we gonna go, right? The question is, where are we going? 
What's our source? We gotta have a source for a response. If you're gonna respond, you gotta have a source. And our source can be culture and can be borrowed thoughts from the world, or our source can be Christ, and we can speak directly into it. You know what I love about the words of Jesus is they cut right to the bottom of the issue. Right? Treat others the way you wanna be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. Reread the parable of the Good Samaritan and focus on what Jesus says, because Jesus is our plumb line. So what the Holy Spirit is saying to the body of Christ in this moment is that we have to get aligned. We have to come back to the plumb line. We have to reset. That's why it's so important that you are reading God's word every day. Get, get more of what Jesus says into your spirit because those words give life. They're words that are eternal. They cut through all of the limited cultural perspectives and they give us a, a strong response. All right. Secondly, Jesus says after, hey, they're going to know by if you hold on to my teaching and focus on my words. Secondly, he says, uh, people will know by our Christ likeness. Write that down. In this moment where there's a cultural riptide and we got to navigate it right, it's good to know that we can have just a simple focus of being like Christ. You know, I remember there's a whole movement and you wear the little wristbands, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, that's not a bad way to think. And Jesus put it in the language of identity and your identity having an expression by saying this in John chapter 15. He says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So fruit reflects the source. Christians reflect Christ. They reflect the fruit of his character and they reflect the fruit of his conduct. You know, my wife and I just uh, bought a bunch of different tomato plants, all right? So we have these little pots out in the back of the house and I've got Clint Eastwood rowdy red tomatoes. Who would think that Clint Eastwood would have his own tomato, all right? Uh, we've got green grape tomatoes. We've got tiny Tim tomatoes. We've got gold metal tomatoes. And you know what I have? There's this, in, in each of the places where they are and where they're growing, there's this little thing that, that is stuck into the soil that, that gives it a label because for each type of tomato, there's an expression. Some are, are multicolored, some are small, some are medium sized, you know, some are rowdy red like the uh, Clint Eastwood tomato. Uh, but my point is this, is that there is an expression uh, related to our identity. All right. Those fruits and tomatoes, a fruit uh, reflects the source of their identity. All right. And Jesus is saying, Hey, guess what? You want to glorify God in the, this, this, this moment, this, in this, the midst of this cultural riptide, all right, bear much fruit, reflect your source. If I'm your source, reflect my character and reflect my conduct in the midst. Be like me in, in, in the midst of this. So there's a good question for us. Are we reflecting Christ himself? Or are we reflecting the world? Are we reflecting Christ's thoughts, Christ's words? Or are we reflecting the world's thoughts and the world's ways and the world's uh, words? Yeah. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, uh, there's, a, there's a sense that the Apostle Paul is saying that people should have when they're around us and he says this, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved 
and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other uh, an aroma that brings life. You know what that, that says to us? That's that people are supposed to sense life, the life of Christ in you. It's an actual palpable recognition in the middle of this. You're distinct, you're separate, or you're not. They just smell culture, smell the world. We blend, we're not distinct, we're not separate, all right? In Galatians chapter four, it says this. This is the key to uh, Christ-likeness. It says this, because you are his sons, listen to this, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So the Bible says that when we cross the line and we, we join Christ's team, we believe in his person, we believe in his work for us, we say yes to a relationship with Jesus. God pours and deposits the spirit of his son. Why? To animate the presence of Christ so that the actions of Christ, the prayers of Christ, the words of Christ, they, they come out of us, all right? The spirit of God in you animates the son of God. You ever seen an animatronics thing? Maybe you go to an amusement park or maybe you do a behind the scenes of movie making where there's animatronics, right? They're animating the, the character and conduct uh, and they're making it come alive, right? The Spirit of God, listen to me, the Spirit of God is in you right now to animate the living Christ in the midst by contact and by contrast. You see, we gotta reflect the source. If, if your core identity is Christian, your core reflection is Christ-likeness. So those are the first two ways Jesus says that the world's gonna know because we focus on what Jesus says. The world's gonna know that we're of him and not of the world uh, because we reflect Christ. The third way Jesus says that the world is gonna know right now that we are of him is by our love for other Christians. And, and this is where we really need to tune in because there is so much division right now uh, being propagated because we're acting more like culture and less like Christ. Listen to what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Those are Jesus's words. Those are prophetic words for this moment, they are confronting words, they are convicting words for every Christian who is in the midst of this cultural moment. Love one another as I have loved you. What does that look like? Well, how did Jesus love us? He took the hit for us. Jesus took the hit. He gave up his position, took the hit of humbling himself and taking our position on the cross. That's how Jesus loved us. So when Jesus says, in this moment, every day, every hour, we're to love other Christians the way he loved us, that means we take the hit 
for the sake of relationship. I'm gonna say that one more time. We take the hit for the sake of relationship. What does taking the hit mean? It means that there might be other positions that we feel strongly about, but we love people more than our position. We pursue relationship, right, over being right. And that's what sets us apart. It's a love that sets aside other things and pursues people, and that connection is way more important than a position. And right now, what I see Christians doing, you know, we're not loving one another in many instances. We're holding on to positions versus people. And we're not able to say, you know what? I don't care about that. I care about you. And just because I care about somebody doesn't mean I agree with everything that they believe. It just means that I care about the person more than their position. You know, I have a good friend, his name's Greg. He's a, he's a defensive line coach at one of the local high schools. And there's another defensive line, uh, there's another coach uh, on his team. And, and they couldn't be further apart uh, politically, all right? Uh, but you know what? They share, they share a love for Jesus. And you know what brings them together where they actually love one another the way Christ loves them is they set aside those positions. They don't let anything uh, of the world get in the way of their love for Jesus. And, and they both have that plumb line. They both have that, that, that force, the, the spirit of God in them that says, you know what? I'm gonna love you. I don't care about that stuff right now. I may believe strongly, but I don't care about, I care about you. It's really the acid test of a relationship uh, with Jesus, all right? It's not what I defend, it's how I love. Um, it says this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21. It says, we love, we take the hit, because he first loved us. Jesus took the hit. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Can I just tell you that over the last several weeks, I've had conversations with people uh, where I feel like I've walked away from the conversation and I feel like I've been put in a different box now. And that's my brother. We're gonna spend forever together and guess what? What we're, what we're talking about right now, we're not gonna be talking about that in heaven. It's not gonna be important in that moment. And you know, for me, uh, what I want when I stand before Jesus is that I was able to love in such a way where I maybe gave up some strong feelings that I had about certain issues to love people and to connect with people and to be able to say, you know what, I don't care about that. I care about, I care about you. You know, see, this is the approach of the Christian. Uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says, though I am free and belong to no one, amen. All right, you're an individual, you have freedom, you can believe what you want, you can say what you want. Though I am free and belong to no one, then he says, I have made myself a slave, a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. All right? What does that mean that you make yourself a slave um, to, to everyone? It's where you, you engage them, you make contact, you love them, you may have to set aside. I'm free to hold positions, but I set aside my positions and maybe my thinking or how I would think about something to engage per people, right? Versus what? Kind of nitpick them apart, find fault in them and find a reason to 
divide from them. You see, everybody right now has their own set of facts that kind of protects and justifies their position. There's facts on one side, there's facts on the other side. People believe their facts, people believe uh, the other facts. And you know what Paul says? Is he says, you know what? I'm free and I'm free to have my facts. I don't belong to anybody. I'm independent, right? Through Christ, but guess what? I make myself a slave, a servant to everyone. You know what's gonna slay the dragon right now in this cultural moment? Serving other people. Serving slays the dragon. Not debate, not rhetoric, not borrowing someone's thoughts, not keeping your own set of facts, but serving another person, asking them, hey, what do you need right now? You know what, I'm setting all that stuff aside. How are you, what do you need, all right? where you just get kind of get down to the root. Maybe they need comfort. Maybe they need someone to just listen. Maybe they need help financially. Maybe they need some assistance. But serving slays the dragon. Can we say as Christians, you know what? We don't care about, you know, some of some of these these personal positions right now. And can we just say, what do you need? All right? You want to you want to know what's going to bring us together? is when we make ourselves a slave to everyone. Not everybody who just is like us or, or believes like us or thinks like us or is a part of the same political party. It's when we know how to love and rise above in our identity because positions create divisions. Service creates connection, right? Where we can just rise above it and we can go, hey, serve us. You know, Jesus could have held many positions against us and he had the goods. Man, did he ever have the goods on us, but he left his position and lowered himself and came to our level. And when he could have nitpicked us apart to keep us separate, he didn't do that. What did he do? He humbled himself taking the form of a servant. And that's why we love him. That's why he is so amazing. That is why he stands apart in our hearts is because in spite of all the positions we held and he had the goods on us, he came and he served us and he wiped out everything that separates us from him. And through serving us, there is a love and a connection. That's how he loved us. Greater love has no man than this, that you lay down your life. You lay down your position. You lay down your entitlement. You lay down uh, the facts in order to bridge it in love to meet the real needs uh, of people. So how is the world gonna know that we are set apart, right? They're gonna know because we focus on what Jesus says. We bear fruit that reflects the source of our identity, Christ-likeness. They're gonna know by our love for Christians, okay, you know what? While everybody's yapping at each other and yelling at each other and labeling each other, man, look at those people over there. They're serving one another. They're, they're, not, they're not part of this uh, mess right here, but they're in it, and but they're not of it, right? Lastly, Jesus says that people will know in this cultural moment that we're, we belong to him by our unity with other Christians. You see these default things when we could focus on other emphasis that if we're gonna air the conservative, you know what? Love and serve people and guess what? Preserve unity with other Christians. You know, Jesus in John 17, it's a very famous prayer and um, it's, it's Jesus expressing his deepest desire for his people to God before he leaves earth. 
and he's praying for us right now. This same prayer. He says, my prayer, listen, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, us, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Wow, that is powerful. John 17 verses 20 to 23. That's worth writing down on a post-it card or a three by five card, putting it in your car, putting it on your mirror when you shave or when you're getting ready uh, for work. He's praying for us and he's saying, you know what the best reflection of God is? Unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Diversity in unity, right? That is gonna be the powerful message. Then the world will know that Jesus was sent uh, by God. And that you see the connection, there's us and there's people who believe through our message. Well, what message are Christians sending right now? Are they loving one another? Are they reflecting, uh, are they reflecting Christ? Are they focusing on the words that, that Jesus says? Are they together or are they divided? Now, um, context in this moment is everything. And uh, in this cultural riptide, you need to know that there is massive spiritual warfare going on. If you don't account for spiritual warfare in terms of what is going on right now, that there is good and that there is evil, that there is Jesus and that there is Satan, and there are demonic forces, listen, that are purposed to divide Christians. Because you can divide them, uh, you can conquer them. No, no problem. And you know, this is not new in the Bible. Christians kind of taking positions and separating themselves from one another, playing right into the devil's hands, where Christians are supposed to be the aces in God's hands and we deal our aces in a cultural moment to the devil. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian Christians. He says, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? In order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you see what's going on there? And do you see what's going on right now? Here's a man of God filled with the spirit of God animating the spirit of Christ and his, there's a lot of conversations and a lot of labeling and a lot of divisions. And he's just going, you know what? I'm gonna scrub the floor here, get to the root, get to the baseboard, and guess what? Uh, this is a test. Um, we need to be obedient, and we need to set aside, and we need to forgive. And Paul's saying, man, if there is anything that I need to forgive, if there's any grudge I need to let go of, if there is any resentment, if there's any bitterness, guess what? I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna take the hit for the sake of unity because I'm dusting for prints in this situation and they're demonic. It's, it's a demonic scheme to send the wrong message uh, by watching Christians divide and separate, listen, emotionally from one another. You might still go to the same church. 
you might still be in the same Bible study, but you're separated now emotionally from your fellow brother or sister. You're holding a grudge, right? And guess what? We're playing right into the devil's hands. So we have to see clearly what's going on here, all right? And when I dust for prints in this situation, I feel like a spiritual CSI technician. Man, there's Satan, that's Satan. I find my word myself saying, that's demonic, that's Satan. Why? Because I can just see what's happening Christian to Christian. When we're supposed to be showing the world the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the unity of the body of Christ. So we got some faith decisions to make. What's your default reaction and response to this cultural riptide? It is to say, is it to say, you know what? I feel strongly about a lot of things, but guess what? I'm gonna default from my position or my program to love or to unity, right? And, and that's the only way we're gonna overcome uh, the world right now. And that's what, what Jesus says. He says, you know what? In this world, you'll have tribulation. Take courage. I've overcome the world. We are in Christ. We can overcome this atmosphere, this ecosystem, the system of, of beliefs that exclude God or are hostile to God. How? By focusing on what Jesus says, by reflecting Christ like this, by loving other Christians, and by being unified with other Christians. Listen to what Jesus Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. It says, who is it that overcomes the world? Okay, I want to know the answer to that. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Then if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that uh, he died for you and that you have said yes to his person and work, He's God, he's my savior, he died for me. I received that for myself. You're on the team. And I pray that if you're watching this live stream right now, that you'll make that decision. In fact, you can just say right now in your heart, Jesus, I say yes to you, you're God. I say yes to the work that you did to bring me to God on the cross. I'm saying yes to you right now. I invite you, Jesus, into my life. Fill me. Change me, make me the man that you created me to be. Get on the team. You just prayed that prayer, you just did that. God heard that prayer. But now that you're on the team, playbook, hey, welcome to the team. Here's the playbook. Your job, scoring, all right, if you're an athletic person, you wanna score? Overcome the world. Overcome the world. You're in it, but you're not of it. Right? And Jesus has told us that this morning. He told us in part one, he told us in part two, he's gonna tell us in part three and four again, overcome the world, right? And that's a challenge for every Christian. Can you overcome culture to be Christ-like? Can you overcome culture and the thoughts of culture and the, all the opinions in culture to believe the words of Jesus and to say the words of Jesus? in this moment? Can you overcome culture by how you love other Christians and, and how you, you choose to not divide, but to come together? You see, Jesus wants us to show ourselves right now. That's a key thought. What's God's will for Christians in the world right now? Wow, he really is hoping 
that in the midst of this pressure to blend, that we're separate and distinct and different and salt and in contact and preserving things and making things better, that we're light, that there's a contrast between us and everything else going on that people can both feel and that people can sense. Or we can hold on to the thoughts and opinions of the world. Right? We can reflect culture, not Christ. We can default to our political position or default to love and unity. Right? That's the challenge. Right? Don't get overwhelmed in this cultural riptide and blend with it. Overcome this cultural riptide and believe in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and let's ask God to do that. Jesus, you said that we would overcome all difficulties, all tribulations. Jesus, you said you've overcome the world. And so right now, just in this moment, just, just you and I, I wanna say that I'm glad I'm on your team. And once again, I wanna, I wanna tune myself I want to set my heart, I want to set my mind to your tune. I want to be in the cord of Christ. I want your words to come out of my lips, not the opinions of men. I want to, I want to be like those tomatoes Kenny was talking about. And in the soil of my heart, there's a little identifying label, Christ follower. And I want to grow because I'm connected to the vine and to manifest the Spirit of Christ. Holy Spirit, animate Christ-likeness in every believer right now listening to my voice. That today, the world would see the fruit of your character and the fruit of your conduct because you are their source. Jesus, I pray that you would cause us to not default to the opinions of the world, but if we're gonna keep anything, that we would keep love and keep unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that the world is not our master, culture is not our master, but you are, and you're using the events in the world to serve your purposes. And one of them today for each of us and we accept is that we're gonna stand out by who we are. We're gonna rise above. We're not gonna stay in the mess, in the weeds. We're gonna rise above it. We're gonna mount up with wings like eagles. We're gonna run and not be weary. We're gonna walk in the middle of this and not be, be tired. We're gonna see the Son of God appear in the flames with us. And we thank you for that. Glorify yourself through us today in Christ's name. We pray, and God's people said, Amen.